Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Friday, October 19th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today we're talking to Vice writer Eve Pizer about the trials and tribulations of growing up online. Eve Pizer has over 80,000 followers on Twitter. But despite having a well-known and carefully curated online persona, she's actually come to hate using the social media platform. She went from using social media here and there to seeing it as the main fuel for her professional life. And pretty quickly, this became burdensome. She describes the feeling of peddling her personality to make a living and how it's fostered impulsiveness, self-hatred, guilt, shame. So I sat down with Eve to hear her story and how it's evolved over time. This piece appears in Vice Magazine's Power and Privilege issue, which looks at how young people are navigating power and privilege from high school into the work world. Hi, Eve. Hey, Sophie. So you start your essay with a a pretty compelling line. You write, from October 2015 to the present day, I have lived approximately 168 different lives on the Internet. Let's start with that line. What exactly do you mean by that? And what are some of these different lives you've lived on the Internet? Well, I started using the Internet at a really young age. And since I was in high school, when I first got on social media and stuff, I feel like I use social media as like a place to like experiment with who I am and also like go through the motions. Sophie and I actually went to college together. This is true. I don't want to talk about that time in my life because it was the worst, but I did a lot of embarrassing things online then. And I'd really just like go through phases and like figure myself out and to me, I think that it's like really common that young people try to figure out who they are in their late teens and early 20s. But I think especially after I graduated college, my online persona kind of started blowing up. So I suddenly felt like I was growing up in front of tens of thousands of people. And this year that fact has just really started to haunt me. I'm like, oh, I feel embarrassed and I feel like worried that people are going to hold me to things I wrote three years ago that I don't agree with anymore that I've grown from. Yeah. Let's talk about that shift from kind of using social media. I don't know. This sounds like drugs, but like recreationally where you're like, experimenting sort of like any teenager does to what you call like self-commodifying on social media where your Twitter following blew up and then you started using Twitter intentionally or unintentionally kind of 
to fuel your professional life and your personal brand online became something more than just self-experimentation. It became your livelihood. Can you talk about that shift, like when it happened and like how it felt and yeah, how your feelings changed? Yeah. So everything changed in October 2015 when it was like the day before my birthday, I was kind of aimlessly looking on Tinder and I saw Martin Screlly, who had just started making headlines because he ran a pharmaceutical company that had raised the price of this drug used to treat parasites in AIDS patients from $13.50 a pill to $750 a pill. So he had just started making headlines as like this poster boy of pharmaceutical greed. And so I matched with Martin Screlly on Tinder and I didn't want to go out with him. I feel like I really have to emphasize that whenever I tell this story, which is also a story I don't enjoy telling. But I basically used our Tinder match as an opportunity to ask him questions just about how it felt to have that onslaught of negative public attention. And I tweeted out screenshots of our conversation after we talked. And the tweet went really viral by the standards of 2015. And I had like a very small following. And I it was just I felt this insane rush. I was like, oh, my God, like all these likes and retweets and follows. I was like glued to my computer screen. I felt like I was bugging the fuck out. And that tweet really changed my life because then I started having editors reach out to me saying, you should write for us. Like CNN interviewed me about it. It was like this moment that changed everything. And suddenly I realized like, oh, if I want to become like a professional writer and like be successful at it, building my Twitter following and finding like fans and people to read my work on Twitter and then also like meeting other people in the industry through Twitter is like really important. From the way that you're describing it, it kind of sounds like a positive thing. You started getting job offers and actually being able to make a go of it as a writer professionally. But in your article, you sort of describe the unintended consequences of that attention through social media specifically and how it started to affect your mental health. So what happened after that? Well, I'm just in general, like I since I was like 13 or 14 years old, I was very hungry for attention, like outside affirmation, but also like I developed an interest in doing drugs and drinking and like I have a very addictive personality. And when I find something that, you know, gets that dopamine going, like I go all in. So my Twitter following started growing and I really just like I would tweet anything on my mind. I was very confessional and like I've always had mental health issues and I just like write about them on Twitter and I'd make jokes and I wouldn't really think about what I did, but I just I'd go on the website more and more and I would be rewarded by using it a lot. I made a lot of new friends. I 
got a lot of freelance work and I got like a lot of attention that I especially at that time like I felt very like alone in the world and it kind of gave me like a broader sense of like community and purpose but I don't know if the people listening to this have visited twitter.com but it's like a very very vicious place and a lot of the tweets that get the most retweets and faves are certainly not the smartest, but the most bombastic and controversial and sometimes self-abasing stuff. So I really tweeted like it didn't matter. And then I realized that it did. Okay, so what was that moment, that realization and like how... Have you evolved since then? Because from where you stand now, writing this article, you're in an extremely different place than what you're describing, and you've had a pretty visible evolution. So can you describe kind of how you got out of feeling so sucked into social media? I didn't just wake up one morning and realize like, oh, I'm using this site in a way that ultimately makes me feel really bad and being at the mercy of a volatile mob like isn't good for my mental health. I didn't just immediately. It didn't click, although that was something that like I understood deep down. In October 2016, I quit drinking alcohol, which just changed my life. Like It made me much less impulsive, and it made me care for myself in a different type of way. I still tweeted crazy shit after I quit drinking, but I think that was like the first big moment that catalyzed a change in my relationship to the internet. Shortly after I quit drinking, I started dating this guy who I am still with. And I think that with the internet, I like really needed outside affirmation because I had this feeling haunting me like I was just inherently unlovable. Like my like socially, I had always been very self-conscious and just really feared that like everybody hated me and nobody was interested in me and I think that finding like a really stable loving relationship just taught me that one like I am lovable but also there are much more fulfilling avenues to get like the affirmation that any person needs and you don't have to do it publicly. I also think that the internet starting with the 2016 election, but before that. The internet, Twitter specifically, is a place that's becoming increasingly more vicious and a place that rewards the people who are the loudest and not the people who are the most thoughtful. And I just reach a point where I was like, wow, all this inane fighting is like not something I want to be involved in. And Even if I see something and I have an opinion on it, I stopped always wanting to share it because one, like my boyfriend would literally get mad at me if I was like with him and then was like involved in Twitter beef on my phone or whatever. And I like deleted the Twitter app off my phone and just like I found other hobbies, I guess. How much of these changes do you think simply had to do with you just getting older? And how much do you think it has to do with kind of how the internet has been changing and just the nature of Twitter? I think 
most of the changes just had to do with me getting older and becoming more mature. I think that had Twitter not become like a a toxic hell site, I think that I probably would have kind of come around anyway. But for me, it's like this weird thing where I'm like, I started my professional writing career when I was 21 and now I'm 25 and I think that most 25 year olds are probably kind of embarrassed by what they did at 21 but unlike most 25 year olds I have a a public record of every mistake I've made which I think having that public record almost also catalyzed a change where I was like I don't want to keep embarrassing myself and I don't want to keep doing things that I'm going to look back at in six months and be like, oh, my God, Eve, why did you do that? But, yeah, it's really just growing up. It's just that now, like, millennials and Gen Zers, like, have to do it in public in a way that I think is detrimental. And I I think just, like, having that intensely judgmental environment is one just like bad for you but also I think has made me rethink a lot about who I want to be. Yeah it's interesting because I think age is a super important part of this conversation. You are 25 now and when you started like really using social media you were in high school but kids now like that process is starting so much earlier and they don't even have their elementary and middle school time sort of apart from the feeling that your personality should be somehow curated online for others to consume and like that sort of judgment that you are describing from the outside affects kids a lot younger now and I like I'm terrified of that and I'm curious what like advice you have to young people who are feeling similarly overwhelmed by the weight of social media and kind of the pressures of the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook world? Well, I think one thing about young people is that, like, young people love Snapchat, and I think that there is a reason that they like the social network where all your messages and stories automatically disappear because it feels safer. So I think, like, young people have kind of reacted to that judgment already. But my best advice is, like, don't post. I mean, it's hard and like everybody's doing it and it's the norm and it's like how to live in the world in 2018. But I know that before this interview, Sophie, you were telling me that your reaction to like growing up online was like to not participate. And I think that that's wise. I mean, it feels a little bullshitty for me to give this advice because All the mistakes I've made online led me to, like, get a full-time writing job, which is, like, a rarity when you're 25 or 55 or whatever. But I think that when you first encounter social media, you're, like, excited because it's, like, a new way of self-expression. And literally now I just write in my journal instead. And it's like, oh, right, some of the stuff I write is good and the bad stuff, I'm the only person who ever gets to see it. And... I can still I still have a record of all the people I've been, which is important to me because like like I can't delete all my tweets because like I just really like having a record of everything feels like an archive of who I am and who I have been. But my advice to young people 
isn't only to like really think about what you're posting and maybe like don't engage as much, but also just like when you're on it and you see some girl in your class who you like hate do an annoying post, maybe like take a deep breath and like don't be judgmental because one day you're going to see your post from five years and you're going to have those same feelings and you have to just have this charitability that we're all like fallible people who are just doing our best and we make a lot of mistakes and they just are super public now and we just have to be forgiving because that's the only way to move forward. That's really nice. So a lot of this piece is you explaining kind of your feelings of guilt about your former online presence and like the fear that it might someday come back to bite you. And I'm curious like what the process of writing and publishing this essay was like for you and kind of like what purpose it's playing for you. Do you think that writing a piece like this is a form of like future damage control like if something did come back to bite you you can point to this essay and say like yeah but like it's all out on the table like I've already sort of talked through my personal relationship to my Twitter presence or is it more that like writing essays like this is healing for you I didn't think of this piece as like future damage control it did feel like a therapeutic thing but I also just wanted to write it because I assumed that a lot of people would relate to it. And journalists write a lot about Twitter and social media and how toxic it is and whatnot. But I just wanted to write about, like, how it affects you when you're still forming who you are. And and kind of to just explain, like, as, like, a public explanation of, like, oh, why Eve isn't the same person she was two years ago or whatever. I think I kind of wrote it, wrote the essay as a way to get rid of those feelings of like guilt and self-loathing about all the things I've posted and to like remind myself like, oh, it's actually all okay. Like it's all going to be okay. And like writing this essay is like practicing like a form of like, I hate the word self-care, but like self-kindness of exercising like a lack of judgment in an area of the world in terms of social media and just like my life that's like deeply judgmental. Yeah, I think that that's great. My last question is just your relation to it now as a writer at Vice, you're still in some way required to have a Twitter presence and kind of to follow other peers in the field through social media platforms. And I'm curious, like, would you prefer to just like not have to engage at this point? Or have you kind of figured out, cracked the code for how to have a balanced life with social media and like use it in a more healthy way? I definitely have cracked no codes. But (laughs) yes, there's a part of me that just wants to like never look at it again. There's also a part of me where like I've met a ton of interesting people and like made important connections off Twitter and I wouldn't trade that for the world. So it's really just about finding balance. I I really hope to get to a point in my career where I never look at Twitter though, but I'm just not there yet. You can read Eve's full essay on vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.